0: Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash call it and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's
2: why you need Robert Half.
0: and welcome to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad, alongside Jesse Marsh and our very special guest filling in for Charlie Davies. Mr. Tony Miola, going to give you a clap right off the top. That's now, 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 boys, we, we, got a, we got a great show today. We got to talk about a lot of topics that I think that uh, people will be excited about. We're talking about a ref lockout happening in MLS. Dun, dun, dun. We have American-made goals in Europe. We had a couple of those this time around, including a player that... Uh, well, I don't know if Tony was high on in the last show. Josh Sargent? No, Taylor Booth. That's his favorite player of all time, Taylor Booth. And then we look ahead to PSV's uh, Champions League knockout round with Dortmund. And then can friendlies win as signature? I mean, can friendlies count, excuse me, as signature wins? And we have the man in the myth and the legend, Jesse Marsh, who put out that statement about the U.S. men's national team. He's going to explain himself and give us some, I don't know, maybe some defining characteristics as to what is a defining win. But boys, first... Call it what you want. Word of the day has to happen. And the word is, because as we know, this game is called so many different things around the world, soccer and foosball and fuchi ball and calcio and soccer, (laughs) is Zuchu. So Zuchu, Zuchu, where do you think that is? What language is
1: Zuchu? Zuchu.
0: The beautiful game is called Zuchu in this country and using this language. Tony, what do you Um, want to go first? Buzz in first. I'm I'm just
1: gonna zuchu. um, Zuchu. Use it in a sentence. Am am I saying it right? (laughs) Yeah. Am I saying zuchu? Zuchu. Zuchu. Um, I don't know why my brain goes to Africa right away with zuchu. Gotta be Um, right. I, I. I mean, I would be guessing on a a particular country, but that's where my m- immediately
2: my brain goes. So I don't know about you, Jesse, but does does a continent is that count as an answer? Jimmy, <laughs> not, probably no. not. No, no. There's a lot of dialects. Zhu I'm going to go. That is from. I want to say Nigeria or Ghana. I'm going to go with Nigeria. So West Africa.
0: Yeah, uh, is, is incorrect. Tony, I'm
1: going to go. You? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to go straight South Africa, I'm the nation of South Africa. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, but fair enough. I'm hoping fair I'm gonna respect the right continent. That's all. Is they, yeah, they, that,
0: they, they do not. They do not call it Zuchu in South Africa. I'm going to give you guys the first clue. This country has only qualified for one World Cup, losing all three of its games by shutout. To Costa Rica, Brazil, and Turkey, and this happened in
2: two thousand two. Ooh, no, I don't know. Thought I was going to say North Korea, but mm. two thousand two,
0: three Ooh. games, didn't score once against Costa Rica, Los Ticos, Brazil, and Turkey. Okay, I'll give you another clue. Another clue. No, let me let me, the- I, let me let me
2: venture. I think it's got to be okay. Asian. It's Asian.
1: Is it what did Bora coach
2: China in 2002? There you go. I think you're right, Tony. I think it's China.
1: I, I'm I'm I, don't, I can't remember. Is it 2002 or 2006? I'm losing my I think it's 2002, but um, China
2: Jimmy's real quiet there. So you guys
0: are right. You're correct. That's correct. <laughs> we started in Africa, West Africa yeah. to be well exact. We ended up well in China. Done. Boys, wow, that's guys. cool. Yes, where well in the world is Carmen San Diego? And <laughs> the word of the day for call what you want is wow. Zuchu, and it's Mandarin and it is from China. All right, let's get into all right. the well, show. I was thinking
2: Cantonese, that's why. I, I'm sorry, uh, that, My makes, bad. Sense. My that bad. makes sense. My <laughs> bad.
0: Your brain was thinking Cantonese when it was clearly Mandarin. All right, so, so one of the big stories that's just dropped for us here in the States and around MLS in particular is that the referees have locked out. They've not reached an agreement with with MLS for this upcoming season. And so MLS is now set to begin with replacement refs as a collective bargaining agreement dispute remains unresolved. And the first game of the season is Wednesday. Real Salt Lake and Inter Miami, and they might be doing it with, with replacement refs. Now, Jesse, you've had a long career of talking to refs, during your, uh, especially in the middle of a I'm game. I'm really tight with referees. <laughs> really close. Uh, so so uh, wh- I, I, what I think people don't appreciate is that the refs control the, the flow of a game. And maybe they do to a certain extent, But, but the rhythm of the game, the flow of the game, is really dictated by the referee and how they're calling what they see. And now with replacement refs, this could have a significant impact on the quality of the game. But Jesse, I'll, I'll go to you first. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I, I believe this is the second time there's been a salary dispute. I'm not sure if we can figure that out or not. Um, yeah, I think it was 2014,
1: Jesse, if I'm okay. not mistaken. You're, well done. you're right.
2: Yeah, Tony. Well done. All right. Big yeah. And we used to. I think the reason I, because I remember thinking like, okay, the leagues made it. Now that you know, there's yeah, the things happening. These away. are big league kind of things. And you know, I know that I've I've been behind the scenes and I've seen the effort that the referees are putting into everything from their fitness to evaluating their performances to the kind of give and take that they have within the referee community to try to create more open dialogue and internal constructive criticisms to help them get better. So I think there's been major advancements made in in the league and in our referees. So the next part for me is it's a tough job, man. I actually, when I retired, Joe Matchnick was the head of uh, the, referee, the referee group. And, he, and they had created a, a program and they came to me and asked me, if I was willing to, to go into a fast track referee program and they were going to guarantee me 80000 a year and, and in two years I would be refereeing MLS games. Now, I I obviously didn't take that (laughs) because I know the torture and torment that would be involved in being a referee. And my respect level for what they do is massive. But my desire to do that job is next to zero. So, (laughs) um, you know, but but. Uh, fair enough. I, I think the referees, you know, the the league's grown a ton. The players are making more money. I think everybody in in all the respective positions are uh, around in clubs around the league are are elevating their status. And so why not the referees? And I don't know exactly what the dispute is, but I'm I'm glad to see them standing up for themselves. And I and I hope they achieve their goals. And they're important. Your 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 first question is what could the impact be? the, the impact could be massive. You know, especially knowing it's Inter Miami in the first match, a lot of eyeballs on on what's happening with Messi and in M- the start of the new MLS season, they're going to have to find the best referee they can to to handle this match. So, yeah, the impact can be can be really big and and it it might also show how important those uh, professional referees are to our sport in our country.
0: Now, Tony, before you jump in, I I I want to give a little bit more context because the Professional Soccer Referees Association Said on Saturday that 95.8% voted against a tentative agreement with the professional referee organization, which is known as Pro, which supplies match officials to MLS, NWSL, and some lower tier leagues. Okay, the union said 97% of approximately 260 eligible members voted. Now, now, in their statement, when they said they were gonna not agree to what pro wanted. This is a quote. The skyrocketing growth of MLS has significantly increased demands on officials mentally and physically, and as such, has increased demands on both of our professional and personal time overall. The league said that Pro's proposal for this season for wages, benefits, and travel was a 25% improvement from last year. But clearly, they're digging their heels in to either get that, that base a little bit higher or maybe there's some some details that are being left out in some of the stuff that I'm reading. But I think that's important context for everybody to, to understand that that they can see everything's growing and they should be able to be growing in kind, right? So so it's interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit conflicted about this one. First off, I, I'm with Jesse. I, I agree that they play such a vital part in what we're trying to do and I can't imagine what it looks like from a Lionel Messi type of uh, – th- th- this has become almost, in a lot of ways, Lionel Messi's league, right? So what it looks like when you have replacement referees. Um, important context, Jim, as you mentioned, pro represents essentially Major League Soccer um, and a couple of other leagues, right? NWSL and, and USL leagues. Um but with more context to be added, MLS essentially provides the funding for pro. They actually have offices in MLS's uh, offices in New York. So they are like MLS's arm of referees. Like you would have a marketing arm. You, you'd have a, 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 a technical arm of, of Major League Soccer. So um, they started this dispute immediately. Well, they knew January 15th was coming. So December 9th was the final, and they knew immediately they had to go to the bargaining table. MLS says as I understand um, or I'm sorry uh, the referees as I understand were looking for a 90 percent increase in their salary they were looking for some benefits uh, first- class flights after the Matt Miazka situation they were asking for security. Um, pretty much throughout their stay on the road. So a lot of things. And of course, you guys know, in these negotiations, you ask for, you know, 100 things because you only know you're going to get four or five of them. So you throw away some. I don't know which ones were throwaways and which ones weren't. But we know in these labor disputes, right, that the number one issue is money in the end, because if you throw enough money at it, people will say yes. So uh, MLS or pro referees first offer was somewhere reportedly in the three to 5% increase range. They've gotten up to 25% as has been reported for the following year. So referees actually win 2024, but as I understand it, they lose in 25 and 26 with regards to what they were looking for. So, Um, We know these negotiations are not easy. We've seen them on the player side time and time again. Um, They thought they had an agreement between Pro and the PSRA. That's why it went to a vote. And as you mentioned, Jimmy, almost 96% said no. So they clearly weren't happy with it. Now, where I struggle with it is MLS or Pro has put out the statement that this will make our referees amongst the highest paid in the world. Right? So is that, misle- where I that struggle. feels misleading is that misleading I, I i don't know i don't know that's 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 why i'm conflicted because i don't know do you think that they would put that statement out now we did some research on our radio show uh for weeks now you can find what what Premier League refs make italian, look we're ahead of the italian uh, Serie A referees like we're ahead of a lot of leagues so if we're close so if you're not the t- the top paid and you're the close to what top five paid like where do you go from here because do we make top five money in the world i don't know i don't know the answer i don't think we do we don't make what the premier league does we don't make what some of these (laughs) jesse you know better you've been sort of in the you've been in the back room right of all of this so maybe you can comment more but if we're what's the answer if we're the top five paid referees in the world like is there much more to fight for I, i i don't know yeah, it's, it's an interesting conversation. I, I
0: wish we could get a ref on here to <laughs> give us some of the intimate details. Because I do think and, and has being someone that was on the executive committee for the MLS Players Association during our first CBA in particular. Yeah, to your point, there are things that you're asking for. And then, then there's things that you want. You, and and those are the things that you hold on to dearly. And I'm kind of curious to see because of how overwhelming it was on one side, like we're definitely not signing that thing from the refs. I wonder what those couple things are that they're not going to budge on and and how that's going to impact pro and ultimately MLS and NWSL and everybody else that's associated. Cause at some point, if your product starts to suffer, the things are going to happen very quickly. And I'm curious to see what happens in Miami on Wednesday against real salt Lake now, executive, Vice president for MLS, Nelson Rodriguez, said the union rejected a no strike, no lockout proposal. He then said in a statement uh, that pro would use experienced professional match referees supported by veteran VAR officials for this first game. And and moving forward, I assume. But where are they getting these officials? Are they rolling some people out from retirement? I mean, they can get us three. I would would go out there. Uh, I'm trying to decide of us three, though.
1: Who would be in the middle? Who would be running the lines? <laughs> uh, you would be in the middle because you can run the most, I'm sure. Um, I'm definitely the fourth official. Jesse, you pick, I don't know, VAR? I, I don't know. Do they still have the end line referee? I could do that. Oh, that, that was a great invention, I thought. I mean, they were paying referees for nothing at that point. Um, yeah, look, you mentioned they've got – so I I pulled this up, and I need my glasses, of course, to read it, but – They've got 66 officials now identified. Um, 11 have FIFA or professional experience. Um, I'm guessing those those will be center referees. They're from Brazil, Turkey, Spain, Italy, Jamaica, Mexico, and Poland. 10 are former or current national referees in U.S. soccer. I don't know what that means. Does that mean you're you, – I, I, you're I wonder what the refs Wolverine? think about it. Like these guys – Aren't
0: they supposed to be in solidarity? Like other refs coming in to, I don't know. That that gets a little tricky too, especially if you have personal relationships between each other. Uh, Well, just to tie up this ref conversation, I feel like there could be some energy from the refs who maybe feel like they've been underpaid for a long time and are now trying to, I don't know, figure that out. Get that balance there. Make it a little bit more fair from, from, when they weren't being paid a lot to now trying to make it not only more professional, I think it's already going in that direction to, to make sure that that they get paid to to the level that everything else is growing. And we, we discussed that before, but I, I remember having some energy when I went through the CBA stuff with the players in MLS where, hey, we made twenty four thousand dollars. We had some guys making twelve thousand dollars a year. We had all that. Like, how do we figure out a way? To, to even the score in some ways. And sometimes you ask for a little more than you should. Hopefully they'll find a resolution. Again, I can't tell you how important refs are to the flow of a game and to understanding uh, how the game moves and who's on the team and the, the research that they do in terms of how different teams play and how they like to play. It just, it all matters. And and it, it definitely controls the quality of the game. All right, we're going to take our first break. of call what you want. When we come back, we got some Americans abroad to talk about some pretty good performances. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Call What You Want. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and our very special guest. Very excited to have him with us. U.S. soccer legend and goalkeeper Tony Miola, also known as Big Tones, also known as Meatball, which he doesn't really like, so don't call him that in person. Also, notable results as we get into Americans Abroad. uh, There's a little bit of disclaimer here. We're filming this and recording this prior to Milan's game, Real Betis's game, Open's game for Gaga Slonina. probably didn't say that right, but I was trying. And and it's also some notable results. Uh, Brendan Mm Aronson subbed on for Union Berlin and scored the winner against Hoffenheim. Way to go, B.A. Josh Sargent, baby. Bags a brace as Norwich defeats Ethan Horvath's Cardiff 4-1. Tony said that was the game to watch. He was exactly correct on that. Taylor Booth forced off with an injury in Utrecht's 1-0 win against Twenta. Now, I will say that when you score five goals in two games, people are going to be looking out for you. And he got... Absolutely hammered in the tackle, and he might be out for quite some time. Ricardo Pepe plays his first full Air VC game for PSV in a 2-0 win over Heracles and Flo Balogun starts in Monaco's 2-1 loss to nothing to lose. And they are right, their name is right. They have nothing to lose. And I just did it again just to see Jesse's fine. eyes roll. Now let's fine. get into <laughs> fine. Jesse, Who who stood out for you? Who was your who's your big winner?
2: This weekend. <clears throat> well, I I first wanted to see Timothy Way um, and he didn't feature in Juventus, but I saw Weston. Um, and he had two, a two draw, he,
0: by the way, against Hell yeah. Yes Verona. There was a yeah, so they're
2: four four games winless. Weston I thought was good again, um, but we've we've spoken about him a lot. Then I then I watched Nottingham and, and was hoping for a Geo uh appearance, and he didn't play. So then I went back and watched PSV, and they had the 2 0 win. All three uh, uh, Americans started, and you know I thought that. So first of all, they they go up a man in like the thirteenth minute. So so now it's a game about attacking and breaking down a deep opponent. And 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 one of the reasons I went back and watched it is because they played with De Jong, right? Luke De Jong is the as the striker, and they played with Pepe a little bit on the left. And then they would rotate Malik Tillman into the middle a little bit. And, and and it was a lot of good rotations on the left side with Pepe, with Dest, and with Tillman. And then also, Luke de Jong and, and Pepe had a good relationship that sometimes Luke de Jong would go over to the left and then Pepe would rotate in the middle. And there was some some good actions, some good combinations, some clever movement, some some good attacking play from Sergi- Serginho Dest on the left. Um And So for the most part, I thought three good performances, a a relatively easy performance, given that they were up a man for for most of the match. But the only thing that I come away with, and, and so I think Pepe probably had three and a half really good chances and I think could have easily bagged three goals. And then I went and looked at his overall production. And so he's got five goals and one assist this season. And so I think he's made some progress and I think he's had some good performances. We've highlighted different matches where uh, in Champions League, I-, I thought one game that he was finding himself into the game a little bit when he started. And then as the match went on, he, he-, he got better and better and, had a- and played really strong on the day uh, against Arsenal. Um, but this was a game I thought where it was important for him to get a goal and maybe two. And, and this is something that still as a striker, you can do a lot of things right, right? Tactically, you can understand your position. You can be clever with a lot of your movement. You can, you can create some combinations. You can run in the box. You can be in good spots. But in the end, you've got to score goals. And so I think that really where Pepe is right now in his development process and in his learning curve and, and where he needs to go is he's got to start scoring more goals. And I think if he can do that, then he can really – uh, move himself up the ladder and he can be part of a discussion about what would it be like if he went to a little bit bigger club and and maybe he'd g- uh, gather a little bit more interest from some some clubs in England, some clubs in Germany. Uh, so, I, you know, that was the one thing that I came away with.
0: Now, Jesse, really quick, how are you on Peter Bosch, the manager of PSV? Because he's had some success, obviously got Ajax to... The Europa League final back in the day, they lost to, to Man United and Jose Mourinho there. But when he went to Dortmund, didn't really work out. And and now he's back and doing well in the Eredivisie. And I feel like maybe his tactics worked there, but when he took that jump as a manager, it didn't go so well. I'm kind of curious about your thoughts on Peter Bosch, because that will play into how yeah. our three Americans could potentially have success there too.
2: Continued. Yeah. Um, you know, I followed him when he was at Dortmund. Um, obviously, Ajax. Then he went to Lyon. Um, he had... You know, a little bit of mixed success, but overall fairly positive in Lyon, especially where you when you look at where Lyon is now. Uh, going to PSV, I thought was a little bit of a step backward for him, but in the end, I think it, it's wound up being a, a really good spot. He's obviously uh, done really well in the league, done really well in Champions League. I think Ernie Stewart has helped provide him uh, with some, you know, good players at cheap options. So specifically picking up the three Americans, I think he got them all relatively cheap and he knows them well and he knew that they would be able to, to add to the level of what they were doing at PSV. I know Andre Romaglio. He was in Salzburg with me. He's an incredible professional, a really intelligent player, really good with the ball, good on set pieces, like a really good pickup for him. Even when he left Salzburg, was around the same time when I, when I was leaving Salzburg as well um so they have a good squad they have a good team they're obviously performing really well and when you do so well with with a team even though it might be see, seem like a a lower level i think it will open up more opportunities for him going forward and i think in general the the three americans know they're in a good place right now with ernie there with the level that they're playing at qualifying for the champions league knockout round certainly all three of those guys have done really well for themselves and like i said if Pepe. If in the next three months, Pepe finds a way to score five to ten goals, he'll elevate his status that much more.
0: Yeah, it's been nice to see PSV have that shop window so our guys can be playing at the highest levels. And we'll break down that PSV Dortmund game a little bit later. Big Tones, who do you got for us? Who is your American abroad that you thought really
1: killed it? Yeah, just quickly on Pepe. I, I think coming into this match, uh, I saw a stat the other day. He was the like for his minutes, he was like the most uh, proficient goal scorer in all of Europe, right? Because the minutes and the goals and all of that stuff. But it, yeah, so uh, unlucky for him, he doesn't get a goal with opportunities. But I, I'm with you, Jesse, because I'm I'm looking at uh, Josh Sargent is the guy I wanted to talk about, and and it becomes a bigger picture, right? First off, two goals again from Josh Sargent. That's six and six appearances now for him. Uh, we talked in the last episode about the forwards and how I feel about them because I think there's something really interesting going on because I think if you took a poll, right, and looked at the forwards, you would probably put him in with uh, Flo first, um, Ricardo Pepe second, and maybe Josh Sargent third. Flo Balgun hasn't played a lot right? Doesn't have many goals to his name over the last couple of months because of the injury and now just trying to get fit again. And then you've got Ricardo Pepe who has scored some goals, but still needs to be a little bit sharper. And then the third guy you have on the list for a lot of people. And I see there's some people on social media think that Josh Sargent should be number one. And some have been on that sort of bandwagon for a while, which I completely appreciate. Now you got a guy who's scoring goals. Uh, So I think this becomes really interesting from a national team standpoint. Um, And I think we'll be a a discussion as we get into the international window coming up. Um, So I'm, I'm, I I watch that and I will continue to watch that through the weeks. The other, the other story I'm following and, you know, Jimmy, you you said, I think you said, who's the American lighting it up. Um, I went the other way. Actually, I went, who's the American that made a move in January, as Jesse mentioned, didn't play this weekend. And that's Gio Reyna. And, this move was basically to get Gio more minutes. Now, I'm I'm of the mindset, and I've always been of the mindset, the player has to earn everything right in the end. And uh, But when you make a move like this, the expectation, I think, is that you're going to do it to get more minutes. And at the moment, after three matches, that hasn't happened. I think it's been 29 minutes, the first two matches. I did a little bit of research since he came back. From the injury, Um, he that was 13 games, one which he didn't get off the bench. Um, He was averaging 18 minutes a match. Right. uh, For Dortmund. So we and again, I know those numbers are similar, but just to give you something to chew on it, it, it's at the moment, it's hard to say that it's worked out. I thought the the small minutes that he's played for Nottingham so far in the first two matches he came, he looked really comfortable on the ball. Um, he he looked like he wanted to get into good attacking areas, um, which we've seen, but there's, so, there's just something missing in the analysis of why he doesn't get more minutes. I thought he was different for Nottingham Forest. I thought he'd be the guy that Nuno says, okay, this is how my team plays. I need somebody to kind of... To 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 break a line to uh, make one of those sort of creative passes maybe dribble somebody maybe dribble two guys and open up the game I thought he was bringing in somebody that would be different from what he has um, and he hasn't gotten the minutes now you win two nil um, just like Matt Turner on you know from a goalkeeping standpoint I don't know Jesse you, you've you've coached uh well, more I want to jump in others. here big tones I want to jump in because Go ahead.
0: I, I'm just curious. This is pure speculation and, and maybe get some bits and pieces along the way. But, but given that there's been, or, or there is a reputation around him now, does he not train? Well, does, does he wear his heart on his sleeve so much that if he's not going to be in the 11, he's kind of an eor about things like, Oh, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. This is me speculating, but I, there has to be some kind of constant that's happening because if he was training his ass, we know he's got quality. when he goes, went on the field for forest, He looked like he had quality and he did fine and and looked like the guys trusted him and he was moving the ball around and was making good, positive decisions on the ball. I feel like there's got to be something in training or something off the field that's not connecting with the coaching staff in some way that they want to give him more minutes. I'm going to just throw that out there and let Jesse Marsh pick it up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I mean, listen, first, I would say, Nottingham, this was probably their best performance since Nuno's come in. So... Uh, that's going to make things potentially even harder for Gio moving forward. We, you know, we went through because on Sky ninety in Deutschland, <clears throat> the sport director from Dortmund said that uh, Gio needed to give full gas, and and we interpret that at a little a little bit that he hasn't trained um, fully or uh, as well as he needs to. So you could be right. That is speculation, but we all know, like when you're not playing and you're not playing as much as you want the best way to insert yourself into the lineup or to get more minutes is to perform on the pitch and to train your ass off and, and, and training becomes your match day. So, I mean, we've all been there whether it's when we were young and trying to establish ourselves, when we got pulled out of the lineup by a coach at a certain point, like you always wanted to make it difficult for the coach to say again, yeah, we we're going to go without him. You always want to, we always want to train in a way where the coach knows even if he doesn't start you he needs to put you in the match so yeah i don't know i don't know where to look at this i think it was a pressure game for nuno and and nottingham hasn't looked so great and hasn't gotten great results so this was a big big match for him and 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 they got a late goal by the way too it was 1-0 they were i thought the better team throughout most of the match and then and then they got the late goal which which helped secure it and again, with a performance like that, you would think it'll be even harder for Gio to get I out
0: agree. That's what I was going to say. It's just now Nuno's going to start trusting these guys that delivered
1: for him in high-pressure situations. Jesse, have you, have you ever, yeah, I'm just curious, have you ever had a guy where you're like, man, the guy just stinks in training, but I know. <laughs> yeah. We've played with guys. Like, I'm just curious that, at, you know, and, in, in everyone says, you know, you're training every day. It's, you know, life or death and we push each other every day, but you know, there's players. Is there one guy that sticks out for you that you manage that you're like, it's not, Yeah, there's, a lot. there's a lot of them.
2: <laughs> Give us names. We want names, Jesse Marsh. <laughs> there, There's a lot of them, you know, and I used to say they're gamers. You know, and like in New York, in in New York it was Kamar Lawrence. In Leeds it was Crescencio Somerville. In um, did you say uh, Lookman? You said Lookman one time. Oh yeah, Adamola Lookman maybe in Leipzig, Um, Salzburg. You know, the standard of one of the things with the way that I coach is that the intensity level is always so high that. You, you you have no choice but to make sure that that you perform in training every day because that's what the the training makeup is. I had a, I had another kid in Salzburg named uh, Majid Ashimiro. He plays for Ghana now. Um, and and you know I I I still had the appreciation that if we needed them or if or if I felt like on the day that that it was the right time for them to play that that still I felt like I was going to get a lot out of them. And so you kind of have to understand your players but but you also have to push them and you have to say you have to train right you know and and it's it's less to do with earning my respect and more to do with earning your teammates respect uh, when it comes to training hard
1: was was there was there a guy like an Allen Iverson like came to you and said Coach, you practice. Practice. You're talking about you're talking
2: about yeah. practice. Yeah, well, yeah. if if Erling Holland comes to me and says practice, I'm going to be like, yeah, yeah, it's okay. You can. <laughs> <laughs> it all depends. on the exception. All depends. No, on but the but you. do, I mean, honestly, it, it has more to do with your teammates. It really does because you're yeah. because anytime yeah. you don't perform or don't deliver or or make a mistake in a real match in, a, in important moments, everyone's first reaction is, yeah, well, he trains like shit every day. So, you know, that that's that that can't be the case. And by the way, as a professional, you don't want to be perceived that way, right? I think right, you want to be right, perceived right. as doing everything you can to be the best you can be and be and be as, as committed to the team as anyone else or as everyone else. So, yeah. All right, those are the games we looked at in
0: the past. Now we're looking forward to some big big midweek fixtures coming up this weekend for our player pool. PSV versus Dortmund, that will be kicking off Champions League. A round of 16 first leg, at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern on Paramount Plus. Tuesday, also the US Women's National Team is taking on the Dominican Republic. That will be on Paramount Plus at 10:15 p.m. Eastern. Then Wednesday, we have the start of MLS Inter Miami, is hosting Real Salt Lake. That's on season pass at 8 p.m. Eastern. Thursday will be in the Europa League. Ren versus AC Milan, leg two, 12:45 p.m. on Paramount Plus. And then Thursday, Dinamo Zagreb and Real Betis in the Europa Conference League, 12.45 p.m. as well on P+. So go watch those games, go enjoy them, and hopefully all of our players on the women's side as well dominate and score a bunch of goals. That's what we want. All right, more call what you want. It's coming up right after this.
1: The the Copa America for me is the time that they need something signature. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's Brazil. I don't care if it's Colombia. Um, we keep talking about Mexico matches being that signature win. I mean, we did this 20 years ago, the U.S. Yeah. We did this 25 years ago. Uh, there's a reason why this dos a zero, this didn't start like five years ago. <laughs> yeah. This started four years. So uh, I'm okay that they've beaten those teams. Obviously, it's the one team I don't want to lose to is Mexico. But, but Greg Berhalter has to take this team now to the next step. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we've seen that just yet. I don't think we've seen a game where we've put our foot on the pedal and all of these guys that are playing at Milan and Juventus and, you know, well, Gio was at Borussia mm-hmm. but now in the Premier League, you get my point, right? All of these guys that are playing everywhere, like, where's the next step? And I think that's Greg Burhalter's challenge. And the next time he has an opportunity to show that he can do that as a manager, for me, is Copa America. Interesting
0: thoughts there from our very own Tony Biola on Morning Footy. If you're not watching Morning Footy, what are you doing with your life? But big tones, you're echoing the sentiments of our own Jesse Marsh, who said that earlier on the sideline when he was doing some uh, some stuff for our Champions League coverage. Let's talk about what a signature win means. Let's just start there. What's what's the basis of that? Clearly, U.S. beating Mexico is not that's ex- expected now, right? So, what's that standard? What defines a signature win? And can a friendly win over Colombia? do it? Or, or does it have to be in Copa America? And, and to add to that, before I hand over the mic to you guys, to add to that, is it the way that we play in that signature win? Because we have a history of squeaking by opponents. Even when we famously beat Spain 2-0 in the Confederations Cup, Spain outshot us 27-2 and we were holding on to sitting on top of our box. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible win. They were the reigning you know, uh, European champions. They were going to be the World Cup champions in 2010. But, but when you look at the numbers of that one, I mean... Not to say we didn't deserve it, but we put ourselves in good positions to score. But I still think about that game going, it felt pretty one-sided for a good portion of that. Is there, like, what defines a signature win then? And and Tones, we heard from you on that clip. But I'm going to go to Jesse first on this. Jesse, I need some clarification.
2: <laughs> yeah, for me, again, if you base it on what we've already achieved with the national team, which is beating Spain when they were number one in the world, beating Portugal when they were number one in the world, Beating Colombia in 1994 when they were considered one of the favorites to win the tournament. These have been in tournaments, yes. They have been um, at big moments, but it's more, you know, Colombia for me as a friendly. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this would be a, a big statement for this team, especially stepping into Copa America to say we're ready now for this tournament but I'm not sure that it really qualifies. I think you've got to beat the best teams in the world at big moments and big tournaments. And so what it, the the trouble we have now is is that you don't have the same opportunities with Nations League of, of what maybe teams had in the past, with whether it was Confederations Cup or Copa America or different moments. So, so Tony Tony addressed a little bit that it's maybe Brazil, that maybe it's Colombia in the tournament, maybe we see Argentina, whatever it may be. Uh, but I do think that um, now and and then you you reference how we play. Yeah, of course, uh, we want to be total football, but we know we're not there yet. We know that against the best teams that we're going to have to defend and counter. And maybe there's stretches where we can gain a little bit of control in the game through some possession and through some of the ideas that of what we create with the ball. But this in general is the question why I ask often, why are we trying to play like Spain or Barcelona of 2002 when we aren't that type of team we don't have those type of players and by the way the game has evolved since then so there's in in a nutshell for me there are the, there are some some fundamental issues about the strategy of what we're trying to do with our team and then how that impacts the playing against the best opponents Right. And and I still when I watch Japan play, when I watch Uruguay play now, when when I watch teams that really tap into their fitness levels, their athleticism, their mentality to fight and run and do the things that for their player pool matter in the best games, I ask myself, why aren't we emulating that more? And so. That's, that's in the end where there's a little bit of a disconnect with what we're trying to achieve with the national team. Tones, your thoughts, guys.
0: and I yeah. actually want to clarify my Spain comment. That was a signature win. I, 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 it's definitely a signature win. I guess there's still a part of me. And I had a chance to speak with Jurgen Klinsmann ahead of the 14 world cup where I asked him and, uh, would you rather, and, and, and it was, uh, he didn't like this question. Sunil actually, Galati didn't like this question at all, but it was a, would you rather, would you play, would you rather play well? And and be awesome in all three group stage games. We were in the group of death in 2014 and not get through the group, or play to our stereotypes, which is sit back, try to score in a set piece, hit them on a counter. But 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 the other way of us playing really well, like really sent a message to the rest of the world that we're coming, and and we're getting better. And and I, that felt obviously there's a lot of naive and idealistic thoughts within that. But Jurgen Klinsmann mentioned that he'd rather just scrape through and get through the group. And that's what we ended up doing and, and fair play, you know, uh, but, but. It's very German and pragmatic
2: of, of Jurgen.
0: Yes, it is. And, and. which he's uh, not the typical German. So that's an interesting response. Yeah. And <laughs> I still think he's a bit of a charlatan as a coach. So he's a good idea guy, but, but I was trying to get at him a little bit. And Sunil was like sitting in his chair, like ready to tear me a new one. And he ended up tearing me a new one in the elevator down from that interview. But, but I, I guess there's just this, this, This romanticism I have about what we can do. And to your point earlier, Tony, about we have all these players and what you said on Morning Footy are playing in some of the biggest leagues, performing at the highest levels. That should start to translate into what our national team looks like. But I also agree with you, Jesse, that if our player pool is built to play a certain way, why are we trying to ask them to do something that's a little bit different. Not that they're not capable, but just maybe not exactly fitting their player profile or skill set. Anyway, I just went off on a tangent there and now I'm gonna hand it off to you, Tones.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's some great points. And, and by the way, a majority of our player pool that are playing in Europe are playing in what I would call more more counterattacking styles than they are in possession styles, right? And and, and I guess um, you know, good you mentioned the style over stu- substance. 2002 World Cup, I go back and um, I was part of that group and we kicked the crap out of Germany and we lost in the quarterfinals of the World Cup. What would you take at that point? Right now? I know there's 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 moments, right, where the handball on the line and all all of these decisions that maybe didn't go our way. And uh, Ali Khan was great in goal. But you you see, you you understand my point, right? You'd prefer to win. We played great, uh, but you prefer to go through to the semifinals of the World Cup. What I want to see in, in if I could just take the, the, the signature win you know, portion out of it, um, what I want to come out of for me personally um, in Copa America is a clear understanding of what Greg Burhalter is trying to do. And a clear understanding that the players understand and can perform what Greg Burhalter is trying to do. Right. And then I think I would feel OK. I still think bare minimum, you got to get out of the group. And it's tough getting to the second round because I think we're in that. You know, Colombia could be the opponent. Uh, Brazil could be the opponent. Um, I, I just I, I just think I want to have an idea of what this might look like in the World Cup in 2026, because that for me is still the biggest springboard that this sport has, just like in 1994, the, the springboard now is tenfold. And I want to come out of, of that competition feeling confident that we're all on the same page because I see some matches and, yeah, there's moments and individual uh, performances that are good. But there's times, I, I'll be honest, I come out and I wonder what the direction is. And I wonder what the direction is going to be in the next camp. Um, and the player pool has... It feels overcomplicated. That's what it that's the direction. At times it feels a little overcomplicated because I feel like he's coach coaching like a club team instead of a national team. And Um, it's it's hard, man. And and I was with youth national teams, and what Tab tried to do for five and a half years with those groups is get the bet have have a style of play and get the best out of bring players in that fit that. And we did for the most part. Uh, but it's not easy over and we had longer with youth national teams. We probably had a week before we went into competitions. Greg doesn't always have a week. He's got three days and he's got some guys who don't even train the first day. Well, most of them don't, right. They're getting off a of flight and, and you know, other managers do it somehow, right. Other national team managers. I'm with you. I do feel like if you want to play the way that he wants to play, you're going to need a lot of time. I, mm-hmm. And I think Jesse, you're, you, I I love the pressing part of the game. Like that doesn't happen overnight. Like, you're teaching those mom those movements, you know, when the ball's here and this guy presses and you cut the angle off and you, you, you make it predictable. But then there's 10 guys behind you that have to react. Right. That that doesn't happen overnight. You're teaching that on a daily basis. I don't know that you can do that with a national team.
2: Yeah. You know, the style. OK, so first the style versus substance. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Right. I think they work together. And this is what I said. Look at, look at Bielsa's impact that he's made on Uruguay, right? And they're almost immediately become the, uh, a, a reflection of what he thinks they can become. And so I know you have limited time, Tony, but I've also been a, been in with youth national team camps as well. And in that limited time, you can make big progress with the group if you're now are, are very precise with how you implement exactly what you want, and in the end, this is this is still what I feel. So you say that a lot of our players play in in uh, counter-attacking style football in Europe, or in clubs that 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 have that that version of football. It, for me, it's not just counter-attacking. It's not just pressing. It's not just position play with the ball. It's how do you simplify all of these things in all the phases of the game to so that the players can digest it and ultimately execute it at the end of a whatever amount of time you have together. And then can you pick up from where you left off and push it again and again and again and again? And again. And for me, if that's the case, then over time you should have a team that that now reflects exactly what you what you want them to reflect. And I've experienced this. Whether you could talk about club, you could talk about youth national team, you could talk about the first national team. That's the job of any coach is to have a style of play and have a vision, but also be pragmatic in the way that you implement it with your team every day. So that's that's where again, for me. I'd not feel like we're really where we need to be in order to feel like we're ready to get the kind of performances and results, which by the way, the more the performances come together, the more that the results will go the way that we want. So that that for sure, for sure is the pressure and the challenge coming up this year. Spicy
0: conversation, and I'm sure we'll continue to dive into it as the show goes on and as we start to approach Copa America and these friendlies and the Nations League, of course. All right, we're going to take our next break, a call what you want. When we come back, we'll talk a little PSV Dortmund and maybe talk about a little Flo Balogun because his situation isn't the best at the moment. Don't go anywhere. More call what you want is what you want in your life. Welcome back to the show. I'm Jimmy Conrad alongside Jesse Marsh and Tony Miola. And we got some big games midweek. We talked about them a little bit earlier. We'll dive in in one in particular, PSV taking on Borussia Dortmund. Now, PSV Eindhoven, top of the table in the Eredivisie, have yet to lose a league game, haven't lost at home all season. So I feel like there may be slight favorites in this one. But there's something about Borussia Dortmund. They seem to find a way to get results in this particular competition. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a very good game. And Jesse, I'm going to come to you first on, on your your... Breakdown. We talked about Peter Bosch, the manager of PSV a little bit earlier. I wouldn't mind getting your thoughts on Edin Tersich, the manager of Borussia Dortmund. Uh, this game will be on P plus on Tuesday, kickoff at 12 PM. Uh, Eastern. No, 12 PM Pacific, 3 PM Eastern. So yeah, give us your thoughts on this one. Uh, do you have a favorite or do you feel like it's pretty even?
2: Yeah. Dortmund's the favorite for me. Um, and, and they've, they've played well, you know, I thought uh, in the, in the Hinrunde, they call it. Um, In the first portion of the season, I thought they had some performances that weren't great. Um, But lately, I think they've played really well. I know they only got a draw on the weekend, but I think they've been performing well. They've got a lot of their attacking players firing. Um, They've got a lot of options coming off the bench. You know, one of the things I really like about Dortmund, and you could say this about PSV too, but – Dortmund as a club is really clear with exactly who they are. They have a holistic approach from everything they do, from their academy up to their first team, how they how they interact with the community, what the club means, how they play, how they train. And that's why Eden is, Terzic is even there, right? It's because... He's he's a club guy and he knows from the inside what the club's about. And when they've needed him to take over as the manager, I mean, now it's more of a full-time position for him. And I and which also changes the the level of pressure of, of what he deals with every day. But I think he does a good job with his team. He clearly has good relationships with his players. He clearly understands what the demands are for the club and and how he wants the team to play. So um, yeah, but we we've talked a lot about PSV, I think. That Bosch has done a great job. I think that Ernie Stewart's done a great job putting that team together. Clearly, they're they're overachieving for what their budget is, what what their uh, their team is, both inside the league and now in Champions League. So I think um, you know they they have a chance for sure. It's not like uh, this is going to be an easy matchup for Borussia Dortmund, but in the end, I I think they have too much quality they have too much continuity they have a group that's been together some good leaders some good young players uh it's a great club a great team and i and i and i would like to think that they're they have a little bit of the edge in this matchup well the the bookies think that uh,
0: psv are at least favored to win this first game i think overall in the tie they have Borussia Dortmund. that second leg is going to be pretty crazy but obviously a good opportunity tones for psv to To set the tone in leg one, they're hosting this first one. As I mentioned, they've only well, they haven't lost any home games at all this season. They have two draws, both were in the Champions League against Sevilla and Arsenal. So some pretty stiff competition. Though Sevilla isn't the Sevilla we know. However, Borussia Dortmund, just to give some context here, won the group of death, and it was a reminder in the Champions League that had Newcastle, AC Milan, and PSG in their group, and they won it. So they should get a medal for that alone. And and as Jesse mentioned, they've been very good. Out of the winter break and made some key signings with Ian Matson, who I think has been very good at the left back position, and Jaden Sancho coming back into the fold as well. Unfortunately, Gio Reyna is on the way out, but they have so much talent and they have a lot of depth. And I don't know if PSV can say the
1: same. Where are you on this one, Big Tones? Well, first off, thanks for the reminder, uh, the group of death. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you, my friend. That's a um, lot, man. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think uh, Dortmund clearly, as Jesse said, is the favorite. And I think if you're PSV, um, you can't win the, 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 tie over in the first match, but I don't think you, you, you want to get out of there. You don't want to lose it because I think, then I think it puts pressure on Dortmund. One thing we've seen from Dortmund over the years is they found a way to give up goals. They've been a little bit more consistent uh, recently, but my gosh, when you watch them play this year, uh, I mean, resurgence from William Brent and, and Marco Royce and, and uh, Milan has been good and vinyl Gittens has been good and, um, it's it's a fun team to watch if you're a neutral. Um this could be one of the more open based on how both teams want to play, one of the more open ties, right? Both teams want to attack, they want to get forward, throw numbers forward. Um but again, I uh, I think they're the favorite in this one. Uh PSV clearly there's an interest from an American standpoint as we've been talking about like you know, we'll get three Americans that likely will play in this match and um that'll be fun uh, to watch but Dortmund, I think, as Jesse mentioned, the, the quality is just too much over two legs. But this is the reason why we play these, and and I I wouldn't be surprised over two legs um, if we saw some if we saw some goals in this one. I don't know what the number the over under is on on goals, uh, but it could be uh, it could be pretty open.
0: Yeah, over two and a half goals in this one minus one forty five for all you uh, people that like to wager a little bit of money on this one. That's probably not that bad of a bet. Now, Ricardo Pepe. Had an assist in the last group stage game against Arsenal. Uh, he started that game, played the full 90 in the last Champions League group stage game. He also scored that winner late against Sevilla, which uh, helped PSV be in that position to, to get second in their group. I wonder if Ricardo Pepe plays. You know, obviously Peter Bosch was tinkering a little bit, having Luke De Jong and Pepe play on kind of a wide left or let's say inside or second striker this past weekend. So maybe there's some tinkering ahead of this this big match. be curious to see how that all plays out. But when I think about Ricardo Pepe, it makes me think about Flo Baligan, who I mentioned before the break, which makes me think about the standing of where these guys are in our player pool. And Baligan is kind of MIA right now. As you mentioned earlier, Tony, he's been hurt, and now he's trying to work his way back into the team. And, and his form seems to be off. Jesse, you watched the Monaco game, and and or you watched a portion of it, And they had mentioned off camera that that flow didn't look great. And and ultimately, Monica lost a big game at home to Toulouse. And uh, that was a big opportunity for him, I think, to get back on track. And he didn't make the most of it.
2: Yeah, I I actually – Balogun for me – what I've mentioned with the past in Monaco is I don't think they've figured out how to use him. I think his movement a lot of the time is good and he's he's ready for the penetrating pass and he's ready to run behind to be dangerous. And a lot of the time, there's more combination play and not enough looking to see maybe what the most threatening play can be with Balogun. So – it, it it winds up being then where you just feel like his impact in the match isn't as much as it could be because he's not getting the service. And by service, I don't mean just mean crosses. I mean also the ability to see where he is along the line, to make the right kind of through pass, to give him a chance to use his speed and quality at goal. So, you know, um, but for me, he's the the – First striker in the national team. And we've spent some time investing in him uh, and, and knowing that he has quality. I think his performances for the national team have been good. Um, he's fit into the makeup of what the team is. I think he also provides the team with what we need in that position, which is that vertical option, with it is that bit of pace to push teams back, especially when we're passing the ball around. And the key is now using him in appropriate ways and finding him when, when he's in dangerous spots. So uh, I, I don't think right now, given, given the status of everything that's going on with our striker pool, my bigger question would be: Okay, do you want to consider playing with two strikers? Do you want to there maybe look at now we're talking what, what it would look like with Pepe and him, Thank or you, with Sargent yes. and him? You, or, yes. Yeah, that, that's you. that's maybe what I would be thinking about more than do we need to replace him?
0: I think what's interesting is yeah, you bring out a second striker with Geo not playing. We could argue maybe he doesn't start then for us. Is that room to then kind of push that ten up higher? I guess if you want to go three five two or, or however you want to play. I would prefer a three and, and let our wingbacks really get forward. But then somebody has to get sacrificed. And in this case, it might be Geo. And then you could just bring the, kind of that role and make it the second striker. Uh, given how well Josh Sargent has been playing, and, and I want to mash him up with one of my favorite WWF wrestlers of all time, Sergeant Slaughter. Joshua Sargent Slaughter. That's what I'm going to nickname him from here on out, JSS. With him scoring six goals in his last Another six time. games. <laughs> Shout out to Sergeant Slaughter, by the way, and the old WWF guys. I was a big uh, JYD fan too, Junkyard Dog. But I... Uh, you know, Tones, talk to me. I know that you're pretty high on the three-five-two. Who would be that second striker for you? Because there's something about that yeah. I really like. And, and had he been healthy for that Netherlands game, the round of 16 of the World Cup, I don't know if the result changes, but I think maybe we could have been a little bit more dangerous
1: than we were yeah um i I told you give me three in the back give me two wing backs yeah you're gonna have to sacrifice someone right in the middle of the field um well, is it brandon Vasquez maybe that comes into the fold is it I, I think balagun is the guy that we're looking but jesse's interesting because you said you don't know if Monaco's used him properly, because of those darting runs he makes in between uh, defenders, I've heard this conversation right with the national team. So we got to figure out a way, and and Monaco has to do the same thing to figure out what his strengths are. Is if he's on the field, if there's two forwards on the field, um, they need to me for me be two different profiles. Obviously, um, a hold up forward, someone that runs underneath or runs behind. Um, you know, pick who you want as the second forward uh right now but if we got to a second Ford you'd see one really happy camper here watching U.S. men's national <laughs> team. i'm not sure we're close to that uh,
0: right now all right we're gonna take our last break and call it what you want when we come back we have a special guest on our show kicking it and i think his name is jesse marsh we're gonna get some thoughts from the man the myth the legend jesse about his his appearance on one of our favorite shows don't go anywhere This is kind of how i felt as a player is like if you're going to do something you have to learn to adapt take what the coach has to say but when you go out there and if you're not playing what's true to yourself or the style that you love to play you're not going to enjoy it as much and my mentality was kind of like well shit, if i'm going to fail you know i would rather fail being who i am than to try to be someone that i'm yeah. not you know so right much on. so it's like so you'll know you kind of make it or break it on your own terms yeah. is it was that kind of the mentality as a coach
2: yes and but like listen i was ta- i've watched you guys a little bit now and even in the media and i was saying to you clint that i wasn't sure that going into the media was going to be the best thing for you but i think you've done a really good job and at the core of it is because i think you've been yourself right and you said in the beginning you were a little nervous and you were trying to find your ground I think this is normal in anything that you Mm. do, that you have a vision of maybe what you think you should be. But then as you go through it, you're starting to uncover exactly who you are. What was it that you worried about with Clint? (laughs) Why are you shaking your head like that? Uh, Getting canceled? (laughs) I thought Mo was Stephen A. Smith when he was (laughs) (laughs) going,
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. Nice clip there from kicking it. This show with Jesse Marsh happening on Tuesday night, 10, 15 p.m. Eastern. It will drop. Jesse, how was that experience sitting on the couch and, and it felt you want to look up the ceiling and give your deep, dark thoughts or was it a therapy session or how did you feel about it?
2: Yeah. I like the format because it's more open, you know, and you can just, it's not just a media discussion. It's, it's a little bit getting into who we are and how we've related over the years. You know, I said to those three guys that I, I, I coached all of them. I played against all of them. I think I played with all of them with the national team. So, you know, we kind of have had different moments in our lives and careers where we've intersected. And you know, it's um I I think all three of them are really open guys. They're good guys. Kate is obviously amazing. Um and so I enjoyed just sitting down for the day. I, I haven't seen it all come out yet and we'll see um how how interesting it is. I'm not guaranteeing anything to anyone. Um, but for me to sit down and, and just talk about life with those four people was, was really fun, really great. And I hope people enjoy it.
0: Yeah. Again, it'll be on Tuesday night, 10, 15 PM Eastern on the Golasso channel. Tony, you had a little bit of your own kicking it with the billion dollar goal documentary, obviously telling the story of us qualifying for the 90 world cup, which was a big deal. Are you a little jealous that, cause I'm a little jealous. I haven't had my kick it kicking it ask yet invitation no, i'm
1: sure you'll you'll get yours <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. look i i think that show's great i'll be honest i i haven't caught up i know ali krieger was on so i got ali krieger's episode and i'm gonna watch this one as well i think they do a great job and i i kinda, i'm a fan who kind of likes to understand the person that they're interviewing and i think they've done a really good job of um look it's we all make our judgment on you know the the games and, or if you're coaching, like we make our own judgments on what you like and what you don't like. And I think this has been really cool to, to understand the person behind. I, I don't, you don't get a lot of that. And we haven't had a lot of that in our sports. So good on everyone that put that together. And, and, and by the way, you included, I'm sure Jesse, I haven't seen the episode, but good on the guests for being willing to, um, you know explain a who cry. they are cry, Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know what it's it's such a it's such an underappreciated thing right uh, especially in this day and age right all the you, you cry because you when those moments come you realize everything that you've been through right and like it all so the the episodes have been great
2: it's no, like but- uh it's like what was it um Jerry Maguire right with the Roy Firestone show you I'm not crying. I'm not crying. <laughs> I, I think to 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 piggyback off of that, Tony.
0: I would say that you get to understand the why of someone. So so even with even with the three guys, we get to understand their why and how they ask their questions. I thought that was a great question from Clint, but he gave you some insight on him and how he approached things. And then from there, we get to understand your why a little bit, Jesse. Not only your why in terms of how you want to do things, but also who the who, of who who you play for and what matters to you. And and I think that's makes you root for you a little more, ri- roots for those guys a little bit more when they get their opportunities to to shine. So understanding someone's why, which I'm sure is what you do as a coach, something I think about as well. Why do you play this game? Is it for money? Is it for fame? Is it for girls? Uh, is it is it what is it for? And then and then what within that game? Is it something bigger, external? Is it something internal? So that that knowing someone's why is really really important. And I think this show does a great job of bringing that why out and putting it on the table and. And getting into it a little bit more, so I can't wait to watch 10:15 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday on the Golasso Network. Please tune in and make it happen. Go watch Jesse Marsh on the couch, revealing his deep dark secrets. All right, that is it. That is the end of the show. Call it what you want. We want to give a shout out to Big Tones for filling in for Charlie Davies. We hope you come back very very soon. It was great to spend time with you. Thanks
1: for having me, so. Jesse.
0: Always great to see you. And uh, big thank you to all the producers and researchers behind the scenes making it sound smarter than we deserve to be, and we appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening and watching. We'll see you soon. Later.